0: Hey, I'm writers. Y'all know and hopefully love our sponsor, Author Accelerator, and we have some good news. They've fully revised and updated both the fiction and nonfiction book coach certification programs. Turn your love of reading into a career you love with a self-paced program you can access from anywhere. With more than 100 hours of training, videos, case studies, and worksheets, Author Accelerator's program teaches you the key editorial skills client management strategies and tools needed to help writers reach their goals and to help you start a thriving book coaching business. We've loved Author Accelerator for a long time. We trust them, they do really great work and this is more than just an online course. You can take the skills you learn and apply them with real life clients through three practicums designed to help you practice helping authors go from confusion to clarity with their novel idea. Yeah, you can work with real writers, and it's terribly nerve-wracking, I hear, but I can tell you from the other perspective, it can be nerve-wracking for the author too. Um, KJ has done this, and the author she worked with during one of her practicums just got a book deal with for that project, so this is real. To see this, if this work is right for you, Author Accelerator offers a $99 five-day challenge all about getting your business idea out of your head and onto the page. But hashtag AmWriting listeners get it for half off. Head to bookcoaches.com slash podcast and enter the code podcast at checkout for 50% off. Bookcoaches.com slash podcast. Is it recording? Now it's recording. Yay. Go ahead. This is the part where I stare blankly at the microphone and try to remember what I'm supposed to be doing. All right, let's yeah, start over. Wow. Awkward pause. I'm going to wrestle some papers. Okay. Now one, two, three. Hey, this is Jess Leahy. Welcome to the hashtag AmWriting podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about all things writing, the nuts and bolts. We talk about writing short things, long things, proposals, queries. We talk about writing poetry, graphic novels, all the stuff, um, and... Today we're gonna be talking about something really specific having to do with speaking engagements around book events. Um, That's what I spend a lot of time doing. I spend most of my time um, during the academic year on the road speaking. And uh, yeah, I wanna flatten the learning curve for as many people as possible. I'm Jess Leahy. I'm the author of The Gift of Failure and the Addiction Inoculation. I had a column at the New York Times for three years. I wrote for the Atlantic and the Washington Post. Some of the speaking I did was related to the articles that I wrote. Most of the speaking that I've done over the past decade or so is related to the books that I write. So let's get into it. Um, I get a lot of questions about asking for advice about speaking engagements, and a lot of it is very, very specific. So I want to go very specific on this so that I have something to point to and say, look, we covered that over there. Okay, so let's start at the very beginning. Someone emails you through a contact form on your website. Please make sure you have one of those. Make yourself easy to find. Some people are afraid to put their email address out there. Fine. Have your email address um, be, you know, within the confines of that contact form on your website. But people need to be able to get in touch with you if they if you want to speak for them, if you want anyone to be able to reach you. Um, Some of my asks lately have come in through LinkedIn, which is new for me. I'm not used to checking the messages there. It's something I have to do now because I've missed stuff. I get asks through all kinds of social media. I hate DMs because there's no way to sort of prioritize. Did I do this? Did I not do this? Is this still on my to-do list? Um, Through my email, I have a very, I have a, I have a system for, uh, of flags that mean I've dealt with this. This is something still pending. It has to do with the color of the, of the flag that I put on the email. Um, but when you, if, you know, if you get one through your, DMs, whether that's Instagram or Twitter or wherever you're getting DMs, you're going to have to find a way to make it so that you don't lose track of that. Put it on a to-do list, stick it in your email, cut and paste it. And if your email is your organizational system, I know people are going to yell at me for that. Whatever. I don't care. It's my system. Go away. Um, Then email it to yourself. Whatever. Find a way to deal with all of those asks. Okay, so now you have an ask. And if you're like me, the first time I got an ask, I panicked. I had no idea what people get paid to do that kind of thing. It turns out there is a wide range of what people get paid depending on the arena in which they are getting paid. If you are in academia, for example, my husband, Tim, he does a lot of talks on medical ethics at various places. He invites speakers to come and speak. And because he is acutely aware of the difference between academia and people hiring Speakers outside of academia, let alone in a corporate context, he makes sure that there is honorarium money available, but do not expect it to be a lot of money. I got paid by a university recently. I expected I was going to get zero. I got like a $500 honorarium, and that's nothing to sneeze at. It's just academics either expect you to be honored by the invitation enough that you don't expect to be paid and it's a nice treat when you get an honorarium and they sometimes don't pay um, some of the wealthiest universities you can think of and immediately your name your brain is going to go to a couple of the ivies yeah some of those have invited me to speak and they've said we have no budget to uh, pay you no honorarium no we can't put you up and no we won't pay for travel and that's just insulting so do better um Um, universities. But some universities are fantastic. One of my favorite speaking gigs uh, was for a parent's weekend at a state university, and they paid really, really well, like a commensurate with what I normally get paid out there when I'm speaking about book stuff. Okay, so let's put academics away for a bit. It's frustrating, but it has to do with systemic expectations. And those aren't going to change until, you know, like, for example, the articles that get published um, within academia in those journals. Not only do you not get paid to publish those things, it's supposed to be an honor and it's to advance your career and all that stuff. And I get that. But often it costs a lot of money for you to get those articles published. Um, it's, it's not we're not talking about you know, the same expectations for journalism here. So anyway, let's put academia away for a moment. Now, when it comes to organizations paying people, let's say, for example, you know, there are organizations out there that have parenting education panels or education panels, or I do, I tend to do a lot of work within schools. I tend to do a lot of work within nonprofits that do a lot of sort of healthy community type stuff. I've done bigger conferences. And, you know, the problem is, is that sometimes when you look at who's funding these things, it can be really unpredictable about what the budget is. So starting place for me with the first place I ever spoke is I didn't even know what to ask, let alone did I have any concept of what their budget was. That, and I've talked about this in the past, that's what can be wonderful about having a speaking agent is that they know a little bit more about the budget so that you're less likely to throw a number out there that's low, I've done that, or to throw a number out there that gets them angry and they don't come back to you. And, you know, that's my that's my fear too and you know and i think there's a there's a a thing that women do um and this is sorry a gross generalization that's moby in the background gross generalization here which is you know we want to be liked we don't want to you know we're just honored to be there this is you know oh the promotion we gotta stop doing that one of the ways that i have been able to stop doing that is by having a trusted group of friends and colleagues who um, are willing to be transparent about their fees, men and women, so that we can say, okay, I've been invited by X organization, and um, what did you get paid when you did it? And they'll say, oh, it was in 2015, but here's how much they paid me, and it was all-inclusive. We'll, we'll get there the difference between all-inclusive and, um, and not um, all-inclusive. So, That can help. But at a starting place, when I got my first um, invitation, and I keep in mind, I didn't even have an agent yet. I had that agent, my agent, Lori Abkemeyer, whom I had been (laughs) chasing for 10 years. So I had her email, but she wasn't my agent. But I had no one else to ask. I was a middle school teacher. I emailed Lori and I said, Lori, I got this invitation for a keynote um, and I don't even know what range to ask. And she said, "Well, it's your first keynote ever. Um, it's based on a New York Times article, so there's some cred there. The organ—is it a nonprofit? Is it what is it, whatever you know?" And I, she said, "Just ask five thousand dollars and see what happens." Well, they didn't have five thousand dollars to pay me. I believe I ended up being paid um, like two thousand. 000- Five hundred, and I think that was all inclusive. So I stayed in in one of those pod hotels. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, um, so that was my first. So I got paid two thousand five hundred dollars for my first keynote, and and that was for a keynote that had been an article in the New York Times. Okay. So that's my starting place, and I've been paid less than that since then. I've been paid far less than that since then. But there's a big decision that I have to make about. Uh, You know, what's my relationship with this organization? And we'll get to all that stuff. Okay, so before you even talk money though, so number one is the approach. How did they find you? Number two, you respond. You say, What are you thinking about? Is this a talk at a school where you're going to expect me to speak to? and this is an event I'm about to do actually. These are the days where I I slip into a coma at the end of the day. I'm gonna be speaking to the middle school, I'm gonna be speaking to the high school, I'm gonna be speaking to the faculty, and then in the evening I will be speaking to the um the parents and community, and that's without, you know, the option I sometimes offer, which is, you know, if there's a journalism class or a writing class, I'm happy to come in and just talk about like the economic realities of being a writer, um, which is just really fun and I don't have to prep for that. So I've come to find in myself that unless someone's going to pay me a lot of money and I have cushion on either side, I can't do more than, you know, four is a real stretch. It's just exhausting. And keeping in mind, of course, that speaking to adults um, with something material that I'm comfortable with, that's one level of exhausted at the end, whereas uh, speaking to kids even if you love speaking to kids, which I do, even if you're comfortable speaking to kids, which I am, it requires more energy for me as a speaker to engage middle school students. It just does. Uh, my energy has to it relates to their energy, and it's just a lot more energy and emotional output to talk to kids than it is to talk to um, to talk to adults in the evening. That's just in my experience. So. Given that, what do they want? Do they expect me to come to a dinner? Which, keep in mind, when you are speaking and you're the invited guest, you do not really get to eat. Um, You might sneak a few bites in here and there, but unless someone's extremely conscientious, which isn't, it isn't their fault. It's just a lot of people want to ask you questions and they feel like they should entertain you. And one way of entertaining you is by talking to you, which means normally you don't get to actually put food in your face. Think of it a little bit like being at your wedding. There isn't a big um, moment when you get to sit down and actually put some food in your mouth. So sometimes I (laughs) I pregame, I'll eat, I'll have a snack before any dinner or lunch thing that I'm expected to go to and often they'll combine some schools will combine lunches with let's sit down with a select group of I don't know counselors and administrators in which case I really don't get to eat so okay so what are they expecting one way you can handle this is to say, okay, it is this fee, it is this amount, let's say um it's $5,000 or $2,500 or um and I'll talk uh, in a minute I'll talk a little bit about sort of the rungs on this pay scale uh ladder. Let's say it's $2,500. Uh, you could say it's another $500 for each gig you add on. Um if you're exp- if you're asking like 8,000, you might say, okay, and it's an extra $1,000 for each thing you add on to that base you know me showing up and doing this thing we're going to get to virtual versus in person in just a minute i promise um so that's one way of handling it. And that worked really well for me in the past. And another thing is to just sort of get a picture of the day. So, for example, this day I have coming up where I'm speaking over the course of a day to many different groups. And I'm going to pass out at the end of it because there is usually always a book sale. That's part of my contract as well. And we'll get to that, too, um, at the evening event. It's pass out time at the end of that. And I also can't eat before I go. I also know this about myself. I can't eat before I go on stage in the evening, generally speaking, because I can't have a really full stomach. So then I have to find, I have to make sure there's some if there isn't some place that will deliver food really late, I have to have already stashed something in my hotel room so that I can have some food in the evening. Otherwise, it's that little uh, store in the front of the hotel where you can get like a granola bar and maybe some frozen lasagna. Uh, and that's if there's a microwave in your room. Okay, so what do they want? And then think to yourself, okay, how far am I going to have to travel? You know, how long is it to get there? Are they going to be doing a book buy as part of this? Sometimes organizations will say, well, how about we pay you X and we buy Y number of books? Well, that's fantastic, especially when you're talking around pub week. All of those book sales are so critical. At this point to me, for example, for Gift to Failure that has already sold really well and continues to sell over time, I have to think really hard about what I gain per book. I happen to love doing book sales when it comes to, for for example, the addiction um, content. I'm willing to say, you know, I just want that information out there and that is worth something to me. So you're gonna to have to balance how much do you get per book and uh and how much do you want to trade off on fee for that. So there's that to think about as well. There are many permutations of this and it's through experience that you realize what works really well um, for you. So let's say you come up with a number. Add something to that, okay, because that's your starting place for your fee. And if you say my range is between eight and ten thousand dollars, or my range is between two thousand and four thousand dollars, what they're gonna see is the two, and they're gonna say, Great, we're in agreement on two. Don't hedge your bets by giving a range, no sane person is going to reach for the higher value and say, Oh, we'd really like to pay you that. Actually, that's not true, it happened once, but it was a very small amount. One time in my entire career has someone gotten angry with me for the amount. Um, one time. And I did a spreadsheet recently where I did a big spreadsheet about, you know, all the places where I had actually spoken and I'm up at 234. So that's not Bad, really. And I used to include language in my approach in, you know, my sort of here's what I do and how I do it and how much I get paid for it, which which is to say, you know, if your budget doesn't allow for that, let's not let this be the ending place for this discussion. Let's talk because there are ways to find funding from other organizations, from local schools, from local organizations. There are ways to make this work, and I have experience doing that. This is all before I got a speaking agent, um, obviously. Okay. So you have your amount, um, and you two have agreed on your amount. While you still have to talk about the fact that whether this is all inclusive or if it's plus expenses. If it's all inclusive, then you're going to be responsible for your flight and your where you stay and your food and all of that stuff and your ground transportation and all that stuff. Sometimes that makes sense. That stuff you can then at the end of the year, at the end of whatever, in your taxes. You can deduct that stuff, right? That's a business expense that was not reimbursed. When you have a contract where um, they are covering that, where they're saying, okay, your fee is $2,500 or $4,000 or whatever. And on top of that, we will pay for your travel and we'll pay for your, um, your accommodations and your food and all that stuff. That's great. But there are still things to consider. Like, for example... Um, do you, are you going to request a refundable flight because that's a lot more expensive than a non-refundable flight uh you know there's little things you have to think about you know they could put you if they're responsible for your accommodations you might want to retain control over where you stay they might want to say here are our parameters for accommodations and that's cool because if they have parameters then i know what i can spend but when it was in the control of the host it can be great Because in some places they used their points and got me like a suite. It was ridiculous. I stayed in this one place in Jersey City with this incredible view of Manhattan um, off in the distance because they had pooled their points. And all their points, uh, because they were members and all this stuff, they got upgraded. It was fantastic. But I also stayed in one place where I made a note to my agent, do not ever let, to my travel person, do not ever let anyone stay in this hotel ever again. It was awful. Um, so you might just want to retain control over where you stay. Man, this is becoming a lot of details and I'm running out of time. Okay. That's okay. We'll go long. Um, Keep in mind that also you're going to give a number that might be a little bit higher than you will accept, and they're going to give a number lower than what you will expect, and you're going to meet somewhere in the middle. How you do that is a delicate dance. I can't get into all the details of how I do that, Um, but you'll get better at it as time goes on. Does it get easier to talk money the more you do it? Yeah. Is it still a little bit uncomfortable Yeah, that's why it's really lovely to have an agent who can negotiate for me, uh, along with the fact that they may have a history with this organization. Now that I have a history with various organizations, I know what they can afford. And that's also what my group of speaking friends also does for me. My group of speaking friends includes people on slightly different rungs. And while we're on the topic, I guess I'll just come around to it. Yes, there are rungs of speakers. Obviously, there's your Obamas and your Clintons and your, you know, the people at the tippy tut, your Oprah's, that that kind of stuff. Um, they're in the, you know, anywhere from $100,000 to $250,000 often the, they'll give to charity or whatever. But there's the that rung. <laughs> and then there's a rung below that for sort of your... B-listers, and they have many best-selling books. They're in demand. They may be on television on a regular basis, or they are constantly quoted, there are, there are fuzzy lines around these parameters, but those people get, you know, between fifty dollars and $100,000 for their talks. And um, sometimes you can go to a website for speaking agencies and they'll show you a range for some people. And you can just assume that it says, please inquire for fees, that those are these super expensive ones. They're not going to put the amount right there on the website. But some of them will say between forty and sixty. you know, please inquire, that kind of thing. All right. Then below those B-listers, there's sort of the people who have a best-selling book, who are really good at what they do, who prioritize their speaking, who don't just show up and stand behind a, pla- a podium and show slides. Um, the more TED style, um, there's a narrative to their speaking. They're polished. They have a lot of experience. Those people are getting currently between 10 and 40 um depending on the organization the outfit outfit you know how the budget of the if it's a big conference that has a bigger budget or if it's a school that kind of thing so there's that group and then there's the group below 10 and then there's rungs beneath that there's 8 to 10 there's 6 to 8 there's two to four, you know, that kind of thing. And it really comes down to your experience, how many people are recommending you. Do you have video up on your website where someone can see what you do and can see the quality that you've got going? Depending on where you are within that, understand that those are going to be the expectations around what people can. Okay, so let's assume... You've agreed on an amount and you've agreed what's expected according to that amount. You're going to need a contract because one of the things that will happen is you can agree on an amount, you can agree on what's expected of you, and then things will slip in at the last minute. Oh, by the way, a bunch of VIPs want to get together and have a dinner with you. Or, oh, by the way, I know and I... Often, the other thing is, it's just out of being nice. People are going to say, oh, this person is traveling to town and they don't know anyone or they don't know where to go. We'll, you know, take them to a restaurant for dinner or whatever. And there's, it's it's out of being kind and nice and and all of that sort of stuff but you have to also think about what you're capable of doing in the time that is allowed especially for example in a couple of weeks i go out for four separate speaking engagements over a week so as far as i'm concerned my priorities are to be great on stage and to be able to be great on stage, which means I need naps, which means I need a good night's sleep. And I don't sleep very well in hotels, so nap time becomes really, really important to me. So it's not uncommon for me if I'm speaking to, for example, a faculty in the afternoon. Let's say I'm done at 3, but I don't need to be anywhere till 6, I'm napping. So um, that means, you know, you're not reachable until that time. I owe it to the people who have hired me to be able to be on their stage. And when I've overdone it, I've ended up in a situation like when I was speaking in front of 6,000 people, somewhere between four and six, I think, at this Montessori conference in California that I was beyond honored and excited to be a part of but I had pushed myself too hard in the weeks leading up to it and got a cold and I had no voice at all. And I powered through. There are some tricks for powering through when you have almost no voice to no voice. Um, they're not recommended. It's gross and it's it's hard. Um, anyway, but my job has to be to be ready, which means I need to know what I can and can't handle and doing too many extracurricular things outside of the speaking itself and being prepared for the speaking. I just can't do it. And I explain it to them that way. I say, look, this is really sweet. And I really appreciate the invite, but my job is to be great on stage. And I don't know that I can do all of these things and do my job on stage. So get a contract. Now, what I'm about to say is not legal advice. I went to law school uh, and with all love to professor Hazen and, um, I, it was a great class, my contracts professor, but I am not using that legal background when I write my contracts. I have forgotten most of it. I never took the bar. I remember things like, you know, I'm, anyway, I remember stupid stuff not the stuff you need to remember. So, you know, in my speaking contract, which has evolved over time, and, you know, I took advantage of the fact that it was edited. I spoke at a law firm one time and they edited it. So I incorporated some of their edits because they were really smart. But essentially, it just comes down to, you know, who are the parties? What have we agreed to in terms of the the talk? It's What will it include? Um, so, for example, in mine, I say, you know, yes, the keynote is a 60-minute keynote keynote. but it includes, you know, time for Q&A after and a book sale and signing, which means you can expect me to be on the premises from a half an hour before until a half an hour after, um, that kind of stuff. What's the presentation about? I give a really quick sort of, that's number two. Um, And then number three, here's the speaking fee for the presentation. Now, um, I used to, before I had a speaking agency, I used to do deposits and I would get 50% up front. And that works great. It's more work. Um, but when you have 50% up front, you mean business, right? And you're committed. And that requires some extra work, like what happens if it gets canceled, that kind of stuff. Um, but you're going to have to deal with that anyway. So uh, you have to keep really, really perfect, immaculate records. I recommend a spreadsheet. That's what I use. So speaking fee is X. And whether or not it's an all-inclusive fee or whether it is exclusive of accommodations, travel, blah, 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 which will be paid for by the by the person I'm contracting with. And then you have to talk in there somewhere about what's going to happen if it gets canceled, if weather happens, if a hurricane happens. I have that story, too. I have had a hurricane happen. Um, All of those things. You have to talk about what that's going to look like. Generally speaking, what I say is we can reschedule according to my my calendar. And I go I bend over backwards for that. I've had two major snuff. I've had three I had one event where um the travel was a mess, fog, blah, blah, blah. I literally had to get off of the out of the taxi, run into the event space and run straight up on stage. And I was not late, but it was close. Um, it was it, it turned out OK. I had another where I was having dinner with a friend before an event and the power went out for the whole entire city. And because of fire codes. Um, you know, there was no sprinkler system. There was no whatever. Some people were like, oh, we'll shine our iPhone flashlights at you so that you can go on stage. And I was game, um, but we couldn't do it. It just wasn't allowed. So they had to bring me back. Um, at, And I'm that was when I was working with my speaking agency. But I'm assuming it was the same fee, but they paid for all of my travel and accommodations and everything again. It worked out fine. And it was it made a great story. Another time I showed up at an event, I was able to do the first half of the event, but the second half of the event, which was the next day, I could not do because the moment my plane landed, a hurricane, this is Charleston, South Carolina, a hurricane alert um, and evacuation order was put in place. So I had time to do my first event. And then I had to, in the middle of the night, rent a car and drive um, inland. <laughs> and so I was invited back. And same thing. I'm assuming that's how it worked the next time around. where I took, I don't know how they they worked it. But anyway. That was not on me. Um, Okay, you have to talk about, you know, reasons that are acceptable for things being canceled, stuff like that. And then who do they make checks out to, address, and then how long the fees due within, I don't know, 30 days of completion, 14 days of completion, whatever. You need to have something in there so that when they don't pay you on time, which happens a lot, you have something to say, look, you agreed to blah, blah, blah. Now, if you want to have a book sale and signing at your event, Now's the time to say so, because there are a bunch of ways this can happen. And I guess on my, um, I have this on my list to talk about later, but I might as well just stick it here. There are three basic ways that a book sale and signing can happen. The organization can, oh, I guess four, because the organization can just decide to buy a lot of books and give them away at the event. That's great. I love that. And that happens sometimes. It's fantastic. It's amazing. Love it. If you can negotiate that, more power to you. The organizer can purchase books at a discount from my publisher. And depending on whether they're going to give them away or ask for payment, there's two different discount levels, I believe. I apologize, Harper, if that is not true, but I'm pretty sure it is. They can buy them in bulk and either choose to sell them themselves at the cover price uh, and make some money for their PTA or parent association or whatever, they can um, sell at that discount whatever they want to do they need someone else needs to sell them you cannot sell books at your own event no matter how ambitious you are i have had tim sell books at an event using um using an ipad and a square space no and a square account sorry However, you also can't count on there being Wi-Fi in the building that you can access. This is after hours and the people running the event probably don't know the Wi-Fi password. And P.S. many schools have password protected or community organizations have password protected Wi-Fi. And so if you get there and your plan is to sell using a square reader and your iPad and you can't hook up to the Internet, you're in trouble. So you need to have an iPad that works with um, you know, your carrier, your phone carrier. It gets very complicated. Let that be someone else's problem. The easiest way for this to be someone else's problem is by asking a local independent bookseller if they're willing to come and sell books at your event. And most often, they are. If you are not lucky enough to have a local independent bookseller around, Barnes & Noble does this a lot. Um, Barnes & Noble has been great to work with. They're really great at at a local event. If none of these things will work, they're going to beg you to do it yourself. And I have hired assistants on location. I know Serena has done that as well. She has people that she works with. So she has someone come in, for example, at a big book event uh, to sell books for her. And that works great sometimes, too. It's a pain any way you do it. It's less of a pain if the organization itself is going to do it and if they work with an independent bookseller. Now, here's where things get dicey, because I have had signed contracts where the organizer of the event has, quote unquote, forgotten or, oh, we were supposed to do the book sale. I have shown up to events where people have said, so where do you want to set up for your book sale? And that's really embarrassing because whether it's because you work with an agency and the agency didn't handle it, which has I've heard of happening, or you did it yourself and you're fully, it's on the contract. So, you, you know, I'm the kind of person who fulfills <laughs> my obligations to a contract. And so it's really shocking when you show up somewhere. But sometimes it can be a more of a pain than they expected and they will quote unquote forget, in which case everybody looks dumb. And so I have learned from experience to just drop it. Um, that's my personal choice, especially when I can tell that they feel bad because they didn't realize, and there's no reason to argue about it right there. Not only is it gonna mess with the vibe that you've got going, and you still need to be in front of people. You have Often it's before you've even gone on stage, and I just can't let that get in the way of me being my best on stage. I'm not gonna argue at that point. I'm just gonna drop it and say, oh, um, that's obviously not going to happen. Um, That clearly got missed on the contract or whatever, but let's move past it. We can talk about that later or whatever. It's embarrassing. And then you have people saying, why wasn't there a book sale? And then that's embarrassing too. Um, But at that point, what I do is I offer to send signed book plates to people because that's just the cost of a first class stamp. Um, I have book plates just made just for this reason and yeah, that's the way I get around that. Some people will bring their own copies to be signed sometimes, and that's nice. But, you know, things happen and you just learn. What I have learned is that if the book sale and um, is in the contract, that I check in with the organizer a month ahead of time, at least, and say, have you identified an independent bookseller to come in and help you? Or are you going to do that yourself? And you can do it with the with the angle of, I'm here to help if you need advice because I've done this a lot. Um, Here are some ways that the book sale uh, and signing can run this way. And it's not uncommon for me to offer that advice and have them say, oh, right, the book sale. And then I've done an end run about any potential problem. Right. Okay. They also, um, some places will offer to like, you know, set the book up for you and find the, and do a post-it note with the name. And sometimes that's great. Uh, post-it notes with the name can be really, really helpful because then you don't have to have to ask for spelling if they're willing to do that. I don't happen to do that a lot, but that's just personal preference from my side. Speaking of which, remember the names of the organizers, and this is going to sound horrible, but... Your brain gets really scrambled when you're on stage, when I'm especially I mentioned this event that I'm doing at the um, that has four events during the day and possibly a fifth. If I agree to talk to their journalism students by the end of the last event, which is usually the event where the organizers are going to say thank you and they're going to bring their personal copies of the books to be signed, you'd better know their names. That means I have to pay attention and I have to write them down because if I don't write them down or I haven't written them down ahead of time, because it may not be the same people that are on the contract. It may be a whole new group of people. There may be a volunteer who picked you up at the airport. There may be a volunteer that you didn't even know about who's in charge of the handling of you during the event and you want to be able to thank them. Um. Write it down. um, Commit it to memory. Do something. Create some sort of mnemonic because there is nothing worse than working with someone all day long and then blanking on their name when it comes to sign their book. I have done it. It's humiliating. You can ask how they spell their name and you can say, is it the usual spelling or some weird spelling? But if their name is Jen, J-E-N, you're, you know, they know what you're doing. So memorize the name. It will happen more than you think, even if you think you have a great memory for names, you're just so tired at the end of the last event that the name Jen can go away and then you look like a doofus. Okay? So, all right, so we talked about the book stuff. Let's talk about really quickly um when things go wrong. Don't start texting the organizer of your event if you think might, things might go wrong, like a just prepare yourself, there's fog here. There's no reason to freak out your host. Um, they're already freaking out about whether or not you're going to get there on time. So don't freak them out. Do text your host when you've landed. That way they can breathe a sigh of relief knowing you're at least on the ground near the event. So even if you have to walk to the event for some crazy reason, you're still going to get there. I usually check in, uh, I'm often given a text number just to let someone know, or um, anyway, I just always text my organizer, um, the person in charge when I hit the ground so that they know I'm in the city. And I always show up to the event about a half an hour early. I don't want anyone to have to worry about me. It is not uncommon, I cannot believe I'm gonna say this. It is not uncommon for, if I've driven myself to the event to be in the back of the parking lot Taking a nap in the back of my car on a dog bed. I've done that. In fact, my parents pulled into an event one time um, and found me uh, and texted to ask where I was. And I said, Look over. It is the reason that the car I purchased most recently has darkly tinted windows in the back because I nap there. Because if there's nowhere for me to go and you're five hours away from my home, you know, there's only so much sightseeing you can do. So whatever. Um, I get there early. I'm never going to make someone wonder. And if I'm going to be five minutes late, you better believe I'm going to text them, um, about that. Like I said, I've had hurricanes. I've had, you know, weather en route. This is another reason that when you talk about travel, you need to think about non-refundable versus refundable. You need to think about, here's the other big issue. My travel person at the agency always has a backup flight for me. And sometimes that means that in order to have a backup flight, I have to go the day before. I can't just sneak in at the last minute, even if the event is in the evening. I have to have two available flights that will work if the first one goes awry so that, and I live in a city where I have to connect everywhere. There's no direct flights from here to anywhere, but like maybe New York and some of the hub cities. So you can get away with it sometimes, but not others. So think about your backup flights. Have just some travel tips. Have TSA PreCheck if you can afford it. Have Clear if you can afford it. The way Clear makes sense for me is LAX. (laughs) I'm just going to say it. LAX is the reason, one of the main reasons I have Clear. I also have applied for global global entry, um, although I don't need that as much. The thing about Clear that can make financial sense is the rest of your family. I'm not 100. You want, might want to check to make sure this is still the case, but the rest of the people in my family got it for $50. So it was me at full price and then three other people at $50. That was fantastic. Clear has made a huge difference. Oh, and LaGuardia is another and... Well, there's a lot of reasons you want clear. In fact, I was just flying out of a small airport where you really didn't even need to have clear, and it was there. If you're against the privatization and the elites being able to have faster, then that's, you know, whatever. Uh, But for me anyway, for me being able to get to my events in a way that um, makes me not late or miss flights. Yeah, clear is great. Let's see, what else? After, okay. Okay. After the event is over, you have done the book sale and signing. There are going to be, this is just how it is. If you talk about topics that are highly sensitive and emotional, and substance use disorder addiction is just one of those topics. If you talk about um, anxiety, depression, mental health of students, if you talk about, you know, there's a lot of, you know, I'm sure that the people who talk about like sex education and all of that sort of stuff, Especially when you talk about stuff where there's some guilt or shame that gets folded into it. There are going to be people at the end of the event who did not ask questions. I I give a bunch of opportunities for questions. Number one, if you sit in an audience where I'm a speaker, you get my email address. Because I know that there are questions around substance use disorder that are difficult to ask in public. So I don't require that. I give you my email address and I answer an email a day. And yes, I'm behind. I also give people the opportunity to ask during the big Q&A in the room, but I also say, and I can answer, I'll stick around for a little while to answer questions after one-on-one if that's what you're into. I don't let people ask questions during the book sale and signing because that's not fair to the people who are waiting in line. You know, I love David Sedaris. He lets people, he'll do book signings that last five hours, but for me, um, number one, I don't have lines that long. And number two, you know, the organizers have often volunteered their time and it's getting late. If I have an event that starts at seven, there's no way I'm getting out before nine. And any later than that is asking a lot of the volunteers. Anyway, so I can't do it during the book event. And I say, you know, I'm happy to wait to talk after, but I can't. It's not fair to the people in line behind you. And they'll try to sneak the questions in and I'll just have to reiterate that I can't. Once you've done that, once you've answered the questions after, you'll notice there are a couple people or usually one who has been hanging out on the perimeter. That person wants to be last on purpose because they want to ask one-on-one when no one else is there. That can get dicey. What I often will say to the organizers is... I'm going to need you to be my backup in terms of closing down. If you could say, I'm really sorry, but the janitors need to do their job. And so we need to shut the lights off and get out of here. You can rely on the organizers to do that. I've had organizers peel off in one time. I had organizers leave before I was fully done answering questions. And I had an incident with someone who didn't mean to be scary, but who was. It was someone who just didn't have good boundaries and tried to follow me into the bathroom. It was someone of the opposite sex. I just, there was no way for me to escape this person. And I had no backup. And that was really scary. I've had people follow me to my car. That's also creepy. Don't do that. You know, ask the question at the event when there are other people around, even if your question is very private. And I've already given you my email address so you can email it to me. Okay. Have backup. Don't let the organizers leave until you're really and truly done. And, and often, you know, getting a ride, an Uber, whatever things happen, maybe have them stick around until you've act- you're actually in the car on the way out. OK. All right. Um, walking to car safety, that can be really important, too. All right, then you have to get paid. So which means you need to create an invoice. Hopefully in your contract, you have said you have this amount of time to pay me. Um, you can cite that to when you send your invoice. That's obviously obviously, plus or minus your deposit on your invoice. You can say how many days they have to pay you. I have had situations where I've need to chase people many, many times, and I will opt. I always assume that they're acting in good faith. I've had teachers have to pay me out of their own pocket, And as a teacher, that really is a problem for me, but... If their school is not coughing up the money in a timely fashion, and I'm talking like this was six months at least, the teacher finally just paid me out of his own pocket because he was so embarrassed. And, um, you know, that happens sometimes. So then you're going to have to rely on whatever your terms were in your contract for if you know something goes wrong and mine happens to be mediation. But, you know, there can be lots of ways to work that out. It, there's nothing worse than feeling like you need to go to a lawyer for, you know, a through two thousand dollar fee but that's part of the game here for that said i've never not been paid for a gig never so for the most part people act in good faith and they want to pay you and yes things go wrong but i've found that people want to act in good faith okay So I guess the takeaways are, you know, if you want to start speaking and you get your first and keep in mind that your first approach doesn't have to be because you sat around waiting on your butt for someone to approach you. You can do what I did with Gift of Failure, which is say, look, I have this book coming out and I write about these topics. And wouldn't this be a great discussion and and giving examples of all the different things that you can do and invite those asks? Sometime I will do a bonus pod on where sources of funding come from and what kind of things you can expect from a community organization, a school, a conference, that kind of thing. But know that for the most part, people are acting in good faith. They want to adhere to the terms of the contract, have a good contract, talk to other people who do what you do and say, are you willing to talk about amounts? Because I just, it's really, it makes it easier for all of us when there's some sort of transparency, because I know what most of my friends get paid. I also know when they make exceptions. And that's important information for me, because it's really, you know, if uh, an organization says our the top of our budget is X and I talk to and I immediately email my friends and I say, is the really the top of their budget X? And they're like, no, that's BS because they paid me why you know four years ago then I know that there's a chance that they may you know maybe their funding has changed but at least there's the chance there's that opening for a discussion about getting paid a little bit more and obviously on top of that I have to work on do I want to do pro bonos and for whom and yes I do and I do I don't make I don't publicize it but I do pro bonos and here's a reality of the speaking world the events you do for free will be the most complicated, most problem prone, most there's something about not getting paid at all that can lower the investment level of the host. Not always, not always. But in my experience, the pro bono events have been the ones where the most has been asked of me um, so just keep that in mind. Totally worth it to do it. I'm thrilled I've done it. I've, I, In fact, I have done not just pro bono events, but events where I was planning on selling books, but then I realized the poverty level I was speaking to was not going to allow for book sales. So I ate it and I gave away thousands of dollars in books. Those are decisions you can make in the moment. I, and I never regret those decisions. And I'm very privileged in that sense that I can afford that. I see it as the cost of doing business. I also do see it as this thing I call tuition. I was talking to a friend of mine about this just day before yesterday. Sometimes you have to do things or things cost money you weren't expecting. And it's part of the learning process. Um, in fact, I handed a friend of mine a dollar the other day because she had to invoke a large amount of money because she learned a lesson the hard way, and I handed her a dollar and joked that um, I had just learned something from her. So here's my contribution to that tuition because I I now have now paid for part of that tuition and I won't ever make the mistake she made. So that's what we're doing as part of this podcast. So if you got something helpful out of this, go and support us. Um, but you know, this podcast is all about closing, uh, you know, flattening the learning curve for other people. So I'm way over time. I'm way over our time limit. I hope this has been helpful. If you have any added comments, if you've had any added questions, you can go to the hashtag M Writing Facebook group. They're asked to be accepted into that because that's where really cool conversations about this stuff happens. If you don't, um, if you're not on Facebook, email us, I guess. <laughs> Anyway, uh, thank you so much for listening. I hope this has been helpful. You know, get back to work. Go promote yourself. Go find speaking engagements and ask to be paid for your time and your work and not just in exposure because that doesn't pay the bills, except for sometimes when, you know, you make accommodations for that. This is all a world of weird gray lines around what you want to do and what you don't want to do and when you do it and when you don't. Until next week, keep your butt in the chair and your head in the game. Hashtag AmWriting podcast is produced by Andrew Perella. Our intro music, aptly titled Unemployed Monday, was written and played by Max Cohen. Andrew and Max were paid for their time and their creative output because everyone deserves to be paid for their work.